Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast about love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak, and oh boy, we are living our best slutty lives because returning guest Zachary Zane is back on the podcast with an exciting announcement. His debut memoir is out in May, and you can pre-order it now. And today he's on the show talking about all kinds of stuff. We get into polyamory and kink, assessing your sexual risk and the level you're comfortable with, the difference between bisexuality and pansexuality, the pros and cons of grinder culture, which is pretty wild, <laughs> the impact of OCD on Zach's sexual awakening, and so much more. So buckle up, privates. This is going to be a super fun and super slutty ride. Let's go. Hi, my name is Zachary Zane, and I'm the author of Boy Slut, a memoir and manifesto coming out on May 9th, available everywhere books are sold. So besides being a bi-con and a self-proclaimed boy slut, Zach has some serious credentials. So I write the sex and relationship advice column, Sexplain It at Men's Health. I also have a non-monogamy column at Cosmo called Navigating Non-Monogamy. And I've written for New York Times, Rolling Stone, Washington Post, GQ, Slate, and I write about sex relationships and LGBTQ culture. Okay, so let's get into Boy Slut. What's the premise? In short, it's about how to overcome sexual shame. That, that is what it is in a, the Cliff Notes version of it, the elevator pitch. And I do so through a very bisexual lens, a very sex-positive, kink-positive, and polyamorous lens. And I think a lot of the reasons why I wrote this book was— a, I just didn't see like a bisexual memoir, you know what I mean? Or at least mm -hmm. written by a man in this way. And also like there've just been very few LGBTQ narratives, specifically memoirs. And it's often, you know, this little gay boy from the South who gets kicked mm -hmm. out of his family for being gay and he's Christian and moves to New York City and finds his chosen family and lives happily ever after. And those stories are absolutely important. And we mm -hmm. need that. But there also needs to be other more modern queer narratives and different queer narratives. That was not my experience. I actually grew up in a very, like, queer-affirming household. I had gay uncles on both sides of my family. We could openly talk about sex in my family. And still, I had so much sexual shame. Mm -hmm. And that's just because sexual shame is so insidious and pervasive, and you pick it up from so many factors in your life. So it's not just your family. It's also your friends, your teachers, the media, culture, absolutely everything. And so I think a part of this was recognizing that we all struggle with this, whether or not we've had this terrible trauma happen to us. It's just by existing in this world, you're going to soak up these messages. And when they're ingrained in you, how do you unlearn these toxic and harmful messages? Yeah, totally. Do you have any favorite chapters or sections of the book? 
So probably the two most controversial chapters, I think are probably my favorite. The ones that I know that people have gotten the most upset. Like I've gotten like trade reviews in and it's polarizing. And I feel like that's the best I can ask for. People have absolutely fucking loved it. Thought it was amazing. God's gift to the world. This is exactly what the world's need. Other people have not liked it. (laughs) And then most of them, you know, are nuanced and net positive, which is exactly what it'll take. But kind of exactly what I expected. Like, this book is not for everyone. It's for a lot of people. And it's very funny. It's very raunchy. It's very personal. I don't even know what would be polarizing, though, of what's in here. Like, what are people commenting on? Okay. So the two (laughs) chapters, also the fact that I put the most controversial chapters next to each other, I maybe should have spaced them out, but that's how it worked time-wise. So chapter 11 is called A Peg for Every Hole. Um, (laughs) And it's about finding like kink compatible partners. So Uh it's really about your kinks. And I go into some really intense kinks that I have and sharing that. And that I'm just actually, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm more like, oh, fuck, my mom's going to read this and she's going to know I'm into this shit. Not actual shit. I feel like I could. You literally say, mom and dad, let's skip this chapter. I'm like, please (laughs) skip this chapter. Please, for the love of God, they don't need to read that. So that is just like, I've gotten some people just been like, oh, this is intense. I'm like, the book is called Boy Slut. Like, I don't (laughs) know. This wasn't called like your mother's cookies. Like, it's, so that, what I've gotten more flack from, and it's, people are going to read how they want to read your book and chapters. And what I've realized with some early Goodread reviews is how when people's own insecurity comes out in their reviews. Mm. Like this person who was definitely more monogamous oriented thought that I was in some way like shaming monogamy. And I'm like, I was just talking about polyamory and I'm very clear that I'm about having the relationship type that you want to have. That can be polyamorous, that can be monogamous, that can Mm -hmm. be open-ish. It could be one of a million things. The whole chapter is about finding the relationship that you want and finding someone else who wants that. And I talk about actually like defend monogamy a lot more than most polyamorous people do. A lot of people really shit, a lot of polyamorous people shit on monogamy and saying, you know, it's insecurity, it's rooted in patriarchy. And I literally go through and being like, I don't think monogamy is inherently toxic or bad. I think if you are introspective and honest about your desires with your partners and you treat each other in an egalitarian way, I think Mm -hmm. monogamy can be a great thing. It could potentially even be something that's more radical the way that if you conceptualize it in that way. But I saw this review and this guy was like, yeah, like like if you're not kinky or not polyamorous, I just want to be like, dude, did you not get the book? The whole book was like being inclusive of literally everything and being allowed to choose. I'm not putting one on a pedestal over the other one. And so it was a little bit frustrating. But again, one of the chapters I have is called Fool Me Three Times. It's about like sexual autonomy and sexual risk and you being allowed to decide how much sexual risk you take in your relationships. And I apply this specifically to condoms. Now, in like the queer community in like New York City, I have not used a condom with someone I had anonymous sex with on Grindr or Sniffies out of the last like 300 dudes. you, You haven't seen a condom in sight. And it's because we have PrEP, which is pre exposure prophylaxis, and we are more comfortable getting gonorrhea or chlamydia. We go in, we get a shot, we take our pills, we go back out. And for us, that is a risk that we make. And I really talk about how in order to do this successfully, there needs to be, everyone needs to have the correct information, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're lying about your last time you got tested, that's different. 
to be clear, I'm not talking about like toxic, terrible straight men who are like, oh, I can't come with a condom. I'm like, no, that's sexual coercion. Mm-hmm. That's manipulation. Like that's absolutely fucked up. Just if everyone's on the level and knows what's going on going into it, that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. And that's it. And people were like, oh, Zach's cavalier anti-condom use. I'm like, I'm actually get tested every six weeks. I have certain partners where our rule is we can only have bareback sex after I've had like a negative STI test. Mm -hmm. So essentially every six weeks I get tested and we just plan the fucking weekend raw dogging (laughs) each other and going to fucking town. And then the rest of the time we wear condoms. Uh And that requires a level of honesty. They trust me that I'm saying like, oh, I actually haven't fucked anyone without a condom since my STI test. Uh But I'm getting tested all the time. I think so much of it is like, I'm trying to tell us to not shame STIs. It really is not the end of the world if you get one. And I think it's a lot of sex negativity that comes in STI shaming. And then that makes people more likely to lie. It makes people get less likely to get tested. And I'm being like, STIs aren't the end of the world. And everyone should be allowed to take the level of risk that they want because that only affects you and your partner. And people, like, they read into it. And I think just condoms have been shoved down people's throats Mm -hmm. for so long. And still, I still wear condoms with plenty of my partners, too. And I let them know. I'm like, I'm high risk. Like, mm-hmm. I go to fucking gay sex parties. I'm high risk. I get tested all the time. I will never lie to you. But, like, there's a risk. There's a risk that when you blow me without a condom, you can get oral gonorrhea. Again, mm-hmm. if I have any symptoms, if someone has told me they tested positive or anything, I will not have sex. I get tested. But I was a little bit frustrated. It's like his cavalier. I'm like, the whole thing is I'm extremely not cavalier about it. I'm yeah. actually so honest and open and accepting of whatever level of risk my partners want to take. So I think those two chapters are probably the most, two of the most important chapters of the book and two that I've gotten probably the most flack for. And I knew it. I knew those were more controversial, but honestly, is it even that fucking controversial? I'm being kink positive, sharing my kinks. The other one is like, be honest about your sexual risk. Don't engage in sexual coercion and like be informed and be safe and don't lie. Like I really should not be even considered that controversial, but it is. I didn't think you were being prescriptive about anyone else either. And there's like a lot of, stats and facts and like, it's like, choose your own adventure, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love the whole book, but I really love the early stuff. Your kind of origin story is really interesting and maybe a little unexpected. I honestly love the first chapter. I love the first chapter. Am I a sex-obsessed pervert? That is the name of the chapter. (laughs) I I grew up with terrible OCD to the point that I could not function. I never slept because I would check my alarm clock to make sure it was on every 10 minutes. So literally every 10 minutes, I'm checking my alarm clock to make sure it's on. And I would just wake up crying and a mess and never having slept. So my parents luckily recognized that this is not, something is wrong with Zach and he needs Uh help. So I was able to get therapy very early on. And I'm very lucky for that. I'm very privileged and blessed and grateful for my parents who at a time where therapy was not as common were like, no, we're putting our seven-year-old into therapy. These are not mere childhood eccentricities. There is something wrong with his brain and he needs professional help. So I'm very lucky about that. But the first chapter is about me sitting with my therapist crying because I can't stop imagining him naked. And I had this thing when I was like eight where I would just imagine people naked and then I'd feel so guilty. And this wasn't because, this wasn't like a sexualized thing. It wasn't like I was imagining people naked who I wanted to have sex with. I was like eight. I wasn't even aware Mm -hmm. of what my sexuality was. It was just, I was under the impression that nudity is bad. And so I would just imagine people naked and then immediately think of myself as being bad or evil or sick or perverted. So it's me crying in his office, imagining him naked and him trying to talk me down. Being like, 
Zach, nudity isn't this thing that is bad for you. It's a beautiful thing. And it's because you think it's bad is that's why you're imagining people naked and why you're crying. So him, it's about the intersection between mental health and sexual shame and the way that my OCD manifested with sexual shame. But yeah, I, I think that's honestly one of my favorite chapters of the book. It was the first chapter I wrote, probably the chapter I spent the most time on, especially because you're setting up Mm-hmm. The end of it's like really setting up the the entire premise of the book itself. So I definitely spent the most time on that. I also like my chapter on rejection, which was kind of like, it's almost like unexpected to be in this book a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I think that's just something because I've been struggling with it so much to write about it's helpful. But I have a chapter essentially on why are we so bad at handling rejection and why are we so bad at giving rejection? When rejection is one of the most universal things in the world that we've all experienced Maybe not like Michael B. Jordan, but the rest of us have been sexually or romantically rejected at some points in our lives. And yet it is so personal, yet we are so bad at handling it. And yet I know me, I handle rejection well, but I cannot give rejection well. And I really struggle with that. So I think writing this chapter really helped me work through my issues, which was helpful. And I acknowledge in this book, I am not I make plenty of mistakes in this book. I make plenty of mistakes now. I have by no means have everything figured out. And I really make it clear in this chapter, but like what I've been working on, how I've been growing. And so I think this one was just, even I was talking to my editor recently, I was at his house and being like, oh, I'm going to have a breakup, but I just know it's not going to go well and they're going to cry. And like, I just, I'm so anxious about it and this, and they're so sweet. And Madra goes, you know, I'm, I'm editing this book and it has this great chapter on how to reject people <laughs> kindly. I don't know. Maybe maybe you should read it. And I'm like, okay, thank you. Fuck you. Thank you. But so again, I think it was a little bit unexpected to be in this book, but it's something that I've just been struggling with. And I think it's been on my mind for a while. So I wanted to do the research and kind of talk about it. Yeah. So much of it is just really great. And I think there's something, you know, obviously – If you're bisexual, polyamorous, you know, if you have these identities, you're going to love it. But I think there's something in it for everyone. I really think straight men could learn the most from this. And of course, they're probably the least likely to read it, which is unfortunate. And again, it's it's for everyone, though. And I really went through a, a painstaking effort to make that happen, to make sure this is not the bisexual book. This is a polyamorous book. This is a book that I do believe anyone, regardless of gender, sexual orientation, race, class, anything can learn something from and see themselves in and hopefully come out of it feeling a little bit more sexually powered and a little bit more able to embrace certain aspects of who they are that they used to repress and push down. Or just even if it's not their identity, like understand the culture a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, privates. Boo, boo. Privates with penises. I'm talking to you. <laughs> Our sponsor, Fleshlight, can help you reach new heights with your self-pleasure. And that is because Fleshlight is the number one selling male sex toy in the world. And they don't just leave you hanging over there. At Fleshlight, you can explore sex toys with expert guides and advice, especially if you're a beginner or you're looking to level up. 
If you have been listening to the show for a while, you know how I feel about self-pleasure and it is very, very good. And I definitely endorse using sex toys. I have a lot of fun with sex toys myself. So with the Fleshlight Girls series, you can embrace your wildest porn star fantasies with a different porn actress every night. What? With the variety of models, sensations, and intensities, you can live out limitless fantasies. And you can automate your fantasies with a universal launch that fits most Fleshlight products. With its innovative touch control system, just set the controls, sit back, and enjoy. And you have pleasure right in your hands. Your pleasure is in your complete control. And as the ultimate male pleasure device on the market, it's as versatile as you are. Anatomical, stamina building, vibrating, or made for couples, you name it. You define your luxury moment. And I just want to say, if you have any shame around sex toys, please don't. It is so much better than being weird with girls because you feel kind of desperate or whatever. Fleshlight just allows you to chill out, wait for the right girl when she comes, and in the meantime, you know you are going to be getting yours and having a good time. So you don't even have to sweat it. And right now, Fleshlight is offering Private Parts Unknown listeners 10% off your order with our code PRIVATE10. So you just go to ppupod.com. That's the website, ppupod.com. You click Fleshlight and you use the promo code PRIVATE10 to get 10% off your delicious new device. Again, that is ppupod.com and enter code PRIVATE10 and it really helps support the show. It helps support yourself and your own sex drive. So go ahead and use the link in the episode description. We can all be horny together. We can keep this podcast going. So get yourself a flashlight and get yourself off. I love the glossary. And I thought this would be a good thing to review for the privates. And like, especially, you know, you go into pan versus buy. So if you kind of just want to lay out a couple of, of these definitions for us. Sure. So I ended up writing a glossary for the book because I realized that there are a lot of words that kind of mean so many different things. Even the word bisexual, people define it differently. And because of that, we're often like very confused as to what they mean when they say bisexual. And there's been this idea that bisexuality is potentially exclusionary where it's right. not inclusive of trans people or non-binary people. And I'm like, that that's just not true. Like, no matter how you look at it, that's not true. I think what it came down to was the fact that bisexuality used to be with regards to sex, mm-hmm. attraction to sex. You were attraction to males and attracted to females, biological sex. And the thing is, clearly, when someone was coming up with this definition— it was not like, oh, we want to fuck like cisgender men and women. We're not trying to fuck trans people or non-binary. But it's like clearly we're like not mm-hmm. using what this definition was clearly meant to be. But like a lot of pansexuality kind of came out of this confusion of bisexuality. This idea that bisexuality is perpetuating a gender binary. It's non-inclusive of trans or non-binary people. And I'm like, okay, well, you could make the argument that's not inclusive of non-binary people. But if you're saying it's not inclusive of trans people – you're saying that trans men are not men and trans women are not women. So you're exactly. actually the transphobic one. Like mm-hmm. you're not even, your argument doesn't even make sense. So pansexuality was kind of birthed seemingly out of this confusion, meaning an attraction to like all genders is originally what it was. And then bisexual people are like, wait a minute, I'm attracted to all genders. This doesn't make sense either. 
So now kind of the definitions that I've seen used more widely that kind of make more sense is I'm pansexual, meaning I'm attracted to people regardless of gender. And then bisexual means you are uh, specifically attracted to multiple or all genders, which kind of makes more sense for me, right? I am attracted to masculinity, to femininity, to androgyny. Mm -hmm. I'm attracted to dicks and pussies and butts and tits and everything. I like all of it. I like gender display. I like all parts. So that is what I'm attracted to versus someone who's pansexual is like, oh, I actually don't care, let's say, what your gender is or what your parts are. I'm just attracted more to you as a person. So in that regards, that is a distinction. And if, if that's the distinction we're making, then I'm very much bisexual because I actually love all of it. It's not that I like you regardless of it. The only issue with that is some people identify as both pansexual and bisexual. And if you identify as both, well, th that's kind of at odds with each other right now. So I know that was a little bit of a mouthful, but I kind of <laughs> delve into this in the book. And it, like, literally, as I'm writing this, like, I kept on writing more and more. I'm like, fuck, that, like, there's mm -hmm. actually just no good definitions of bisexuality and pansexuality. That's the issue. Like, gender and sexual attractions are just so complex. And changing, I feel like, you know, yeah. like you said, like pansexuality came out of this confusion. And so <laughs> kind of the confusion keeps feeding each other. <laughs> and then also, because also like looking at the research, it's tough to say exactly what the origins are. So this is, again, my interpretation. I mm -hmm. did a shit ton of fucking research on this. But it's like, especially when there's infighting between bisexuals and pansexuals, I'm like, we are on the same fucking team right now. Like, are you serious? <laughs> like, is this the energy like that you want to be like, you're mad at us? Like, like, this makes no fucking sense, you guys. We're literally on the same team. Like, let, let's get it together. So I think that's, you know, the, the liberals kind of love to cannibalize each other. That's something that we tend to do quite often. I'm like, let's please, let's not. You guys, like... Uh, <laughs> We have bigger fish to fry here than each other and these just the distinction between labels. Okay, a couple others. Fraysexual. Just quick pop quiz. What is this? Pop quiz. Okay, so to define fraysexual, it's often better to define demisexual because people are more knowledgeable about what that is. So demisexual means you only experience sexual attraction to someone after you have an emotional connection. So you don't see someone on the street and be like, damn, he's hot. I want to jump his fucking bones. Only after having a heart-to-heart, -heart, feeling safe and trusted and having this connection, do you want to jump his bones. And then free sexuality is kind of the opposite of demisexual. So it's actually as you become more emotionally involved in someone and more romantically involved, your desire to have sex with them wanes mm -hmm. uh, over time. And I try to make a distinction between this is different because you have like sexual trauma or something like that that's contributing but it just shows kind of a different relationship with sex. I feel like for sexuals, sex to them is less about intimacy and often more about the novelty. So mm -hmm. it's about the newness, the kink, the excitement, the ridiculous atmosphere. But sex is not how they necessarily connect with their person that they're like romantically or emotionally involved with. And neither is superior or inferior or anything like that, but it's important to know these things about yourself so you can find a partner that kind of matches with your same desires. Yeah. And then last little duo here, metamor and polycule. Sure. So metamor is your partner's partner. So when you're polyamorous, you might have a boyfriend who has a wife. So 
that wife would be my metamorph. We're both sharing that same man. Polycule is essentially the web of connections between you and your metamors. So it's like, okay, my polycule would be me, my boyfriend, my boyfriend's wife, my boyfriend's wife's girlfriend, their mutually shared partner, and whatever it is. So it's kind of like as... Polycules can be big. Polycules can be big. Um, <laughs> they can be fun. They're always dramatic. I think that's the one thing uh, to know. No, I shouldn't, I shouldn't joke. Um, is it a family-type vibe in the polycule? The best ones are. I can't speak for everyone, but I, I think that's one of the most beautiful things about being polyamorous is kind of this family you get from it, where it's like, okay, I love this person. This person, their partner also loves them. I share this connection with their partner because of that. But especially if you do kitchen table polyamory, there's so many fucking, I don't even think I defined that one in the book, but kitchen table polyamory is very much where you can sit down at the kitchen table and talk to your metamors and be friends with them and you text them and you're good with that stuff versus, oh fuck, parallel polyamory, which is when like you keep the partners completely separate. And for me, I'm very much a kitchen table polyamory type of person. I like it when my partners are friends with each other and know each other's, are dating each other, are fucking each other. I don't like having these different lives or having a birthday party and being like, well, they don't communicate. They don't like knowing the other one exists. So I never put myself in those situations because that's not something I'd feel comfortable with. Totally. Okay, last topic that I want to cover is you talk about grinder culture Mm. in – the sure do in boy slut, and I mm. found it fascinating as someone who kind of by definition can't really participate. <laughs> Correct. So, give us, you know, the four one one on grinder culture. <laughs> oh my god! How, I mean, I wrote a I whole mean, chapter gotta, on it. They got to read the book, but I mean, there was a lot of it's a lot of anonymous hooking up, and I'm just curious about how that all works. And it sounds like even you were a little surprised about it going into it. I was shocked. Like I knew Grinder made sex easy. I didn't realize how easy it made it. And the number of guys I've probably fucked through Grinder or Sniffies or Jacked or Scruff, there are 10 millions of them. Like I've definitely fucked over 1500 men anonymously. Oh, and like damn. you were just like it, the number of times, especially when I used to live with a roommate where it'd like be dinner time, my roommate's like stirring his walk. This dude comes in, he's like, "Hey dude, how are you?" This guy goes to my room. I fuck. <laughs> He leaves. He's out within 15 minutes, flat. And my roommate's still literally stirring his walk in the same exact fucking place, being like, bye, dude. Have a good one. Like, uh, it's – I don't think people realize, like, how how easy it is. And because it's made sex no longer the scarce commodity and that you're able to connect with other gay people even when you live in homophobic areas, that's really changed the landscape of how queer men – approach sex and dating and relationships. And there are many negative aspects of it, fewer positive aspects of it. There definitely are both. And I kind of break down the positive aspects and the negative aspects. And then also how to have a healthy relationship with Grindr because a lot of queer men do not. Can you give us just a couple positives and like a couple negatives? Sure. So a couple positives is it really has allowed people who live in a small town in the middle of rural Missouri to connect with other queer and gay people safely. Safely in quotes, but like, you know what I mean? Like you, like as places that don't have gay bars, places right. that uh, you can't maybe dress a certain way because you really fear that you're going to be discriminated against. Like this allows you to meet other gay men. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it allows you to connect. Is it ideal that a 16-year-old gay boy in Alabama is lying about his age to be on Grindr because that's the only way he connect with gay men? 
no, that is absolutely not ideal. But like, mm-hmm. it, it's such a shame that that's the reality of where 16-year-old gay guys in certain parts of the United States are able to connect with people. I also think it's allowed queer men to connect based off of various different things because it used to be like gay bars. That's kind of what we had. We did not have any other spaces. So if you are sober, if you're, let's say you're a gamer who really doesn't like going out, like you didn't really have options to meet people. It's like we just had gay bars. And so if a bar wasn't your space, it was really tough to meet people. And I think this allows just other options to meet people beyond bars. And you can also like filter by like sober, by gamer, by whatever it is. So you can find other people with similar interests and connect with them that way. So those are some positives. The negatives are are more and more. One thing I address is like, God, the amount of fucking racism, femphobia, transphobia, HIV shaming, body shaming, just like every single ism and phobia is like pervasive on the app. And like, fuck, it's obviously not easy to experience racism or fetishization or being called fat or gross or dirty and disgusting for having HIV. And it's kind of revealed how cruel gay men and queer men are to one another. And of course they do so from the safety of being anonymous on their own toilets. But this has an effect on us. You know, we we think we're not lovable. We think we have to look a certain way or be a certain way in order to be considered desired because you've had so many people say how ugly or terrible or whatever it is that you are. So I think that's one of the biggest issues with like Grindr and these apps. And I think another issue is kind of Sometimes you have like too many options. You know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, you just end up grinder becomes like you you check your phone and before you even know it, you're on grinder, right? Because it's just a habit at this point. You mm-hmm. went to check your emails and you just checked grinder. And it can be tough to sometimes connect with one or two people when you have this device in your pocket where you can fuck a million guys who are just 800 feet away from you. So almost like staying focused on one person can sometimes be a little bit more challenging if you're constantly on grinder and looking for the next fuck. That's so funny that you're like, oh, fuck, I just meant to check my email, but now all of a sudden this guy's in my apartment. <laughs> yeah, all of, a sudden, all of a sudden someone is inside of me. I literally, I was just trying to respond to an email. What happened? I blinked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. This has been so amazing. Obviously people need to buy Boy Slut, a memoir and a manifesto. Give everybody the details where they can find you online and and how they can stay in touch with you. So you can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram, Zachary Zane underscore the underscores at the end. More active on Instagram than Twitter because being on Twitter makes me lose my mind slowly. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My website is ZacharyZane.com. All my information is there. You can buy Boy Slut literally anywhere books are sold. I also have this, again, this digital zine called Boy Slut, and it's a Substack, and it publishes nonfiction, really raunchy erotica. So you kind of hear a lot of my sex stories, and I publish other authors too. So you hear their nonfiction and truthful sex stories, and they are just a ton of fun. It's a very horny, very good read. <laughs> There's nothing like waking up on Monday morning to my DMs being like, it's literally like 50 people just be like, oh, here's exactly when I came reading this word. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad. Glad, glad I can help here. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Private Parts Unknown. And thank you so much to Zach. Make sure you order your copy of Boy Slip from bookshop.com, your local bookstore, or wherever books are sold. And while you're waiting for that to arrive... 
Why don't you go back and check out Zach's first appearance on Private Parts Unknown. Back in August, he was on episode 95, The Best Sex Party Ever. And let me tell you, that episode does not disappoint. And of course, stay tuned because I have lots more sexy episodes coming up soon. To stay in touch between episodes, follow me at Courtney Kosak. That is K-O-C-A-K on Instagram and Twitter. And follow the show at Private Parts Unknown unknown on Instagram and at private parts un on Twitter. And for the latest episodes, look down and make sure you are following us on your favorite podcast player. Now, if you're on Spotify, you just click that little follow and the bell button. And of course, subscribe to our newsletter at privatepartsunknown.substack.com. The link is in the episode description. Shout out to Amy Rausch for the bomb-ass theme music. For more info about Amy and her music, check out amyrausch.com. That's Amy, R-A-A-S-C-H dot com. This episode was mixed by my ride-or-die audio guy, Michael Castaneda of Plastic Audio. And after enjoying this content, could we ask you for a quick favor? Just go to ratethispodcast.com slash private and give us a five-star rating and review. We are on a mission to up our ratings and reviews, okay? And you guys have been awesome about helping us do that. So we currently have a goal of 275 ratings on Apple Podcasts. And we are currently up a few from last time to 254. So thank you so much. And we didn't get a new review since our Ferrari family review last episode. So we would love to hear from you with a review. Just a little quick note about what you love about the show. Maybe your favorite guest. Maybe you love Zach, whatever. We just love to hear from you guys. So go to ratethispodcast.com slash private and give us some love over on Apple Podcasts or really any platform. And if you're listening on Spotify, we are currently trying to get to 75 ratings. And you all have been awesome because we are up, I think, three since last time. And we are a mere 10 away. So we are currently at 65 ratings on Spotify. And if you are listening on Spotify right now, you can help us out by going to the upper left-hand corner of our page, clicking the star button, and then clicking all five stars. And one more thing, a new announcement. We are now on the Fountain app. And I don't know if you guys have ever checked this out before. It's pretty new, but it is a value for value platform. So it sort of involves Bitcoin. It's basically just a regular podcast platform that you listen to podcasts on, but you can support your favorite shows by sending them sats, which is like Bitcoin pennies. Anyway, I just put Private Parts Unknown on the Fountain app and I already got some love. Mere Mortals podcast sent 2,110 sats. I don't know if there's a meaning behind that. Some of them have meanings. You guys can send, you know, boobs like 80085. Anyway, I got a message from Mere Mortals podcast. Hey, Courtney, saw that you added your podcast to Fountain. Welcome to the Satoshi and B4B ecosystem. Here's a boostagram to say thanks for the episodes I listened to recently. Star eyes emoji. So thank you so much, Mere Mortals podcast. And if you want to send us a boostagram, you can head on over to Fountain and there is more information about how to do that there. And thank you so much for the love and support 
I appreciate you privates so much. So until next time, stay curious and keep exploring. Love you privates. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.